0: Most swimmers that have been in college, I can actually say I've never did this. I never went to practice after a night of drinking, like ever. I never did it. Never once. Um, I've coached kids that clearly came in after a night of drinking, and they didn't do so well. But you could see. I mean, you could see it for three days, you know, how hard their weekend was. You can see it. And that is literally, nutritionally, your body is pushing out toxins, that you put into it on Saturday, well, let's say Saturday night, right? And you show up Monday morning for practice, your body hasn't been able to metabolize and get rid of those toxins. Now you're putting more physical stress on the body. That stuff's hanging in your body for days and days.
1: Welcome back to the social cake podcast. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a partial crew tonight. Dr. John Mullen, myself and Erica Biney. Hey, Erica.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I feel like it's pretty special here to be on with the, the crew. This is like a real crew here. Yeah.
1: We, got a, we got a partial crew. We got a crew member who's going through a family move, so he uh, couldn't make it. But um, we are so excited to get to talk to you and learn a little bit about what we're doing wrong on a daily basis. <laughs> keep the commentary, you know, like lighthearted. We don't take criticism very much. Well.
0: Okay. Okay. We'll keep it. We'll keep it easy on you for sure. We'll keep it easy. Well, what do you have in your hand, first of all?
1: Well, so I I went to the fridge and I was gonna grab a beer and then I decided if I'm talking to a nutritionist I probably shouldn't. So just a sparkling water. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because
1: naturally flavored. No. No yeah.
0: artificials. Probably in there. That's good.
1: It's good. I think I'm doing okay. I don't. I never know what natural flavors mean, but. Well. well-
0: a lot of times it means beaver butt. There's a lot of times like beaver anus, in like literally in natural flavors, you can go Google it. It's it's true. So it's natural and it's flavors, but it might not be the kind of natural flavors you're thinking of in your blueberry sparkler there.
1: What what kind of beaver produces a blueberry? Flavor? <laughs> I don't know. It's something. I
0: don't actually don't know the science on it. But if you want to go Google it, it's true. Like. Beaver butt is one of the things most commonly found in the ingredient called natural flavors. So, if you're opposed to that, I would not use it. But it's natural flavors. Are Brian is
2: not it. opposed. He <laughs> wants all the beaver butt in his drinks <laughs> possible.
0: All right. He's cool. making suicide
2: I mean, drinks with every beaver butt out there. That's for sure. Is
0: this how you break the ice with your clients? You know, not usually. I mean, bowel movements and things, some, um, you know, a lot of times that's talked about in our, in our conversations, but typically beaver butt is not,
1: not, not get brought up very often. That's pretty rare. All right. What's the, what's the next most awkward thing that, that comes up in nutrition?
0: Oh, let's see. It's not, I mean, to me, it's not even awkward to the client the person I'm talking to, they feel awkward. I don't feel awkward, but they really feel awkward about, you know, bowel movements, digestion, um, menstrual cycles common thing to talk about with women especially and some some of the pieces I do like genetic testing we we really can see some struggles that women might have in that area so it's something that definitely comes up fertility especially when we're talking to younger kids when they test on a certain gene and we talk about hey you're probably not in the thought to start a family right now and mom and dad are on the call going No, no. And they get all kind of red. You can see it. But this is what this means for the future if you maybe someday want to think about that. Long, long 30 years from now, right? So that usually brings some red to the face and some color. But those are the sperm. We talk about sperm sometimes. That gets um, some awkward reactions (laughs) from people. Not awkward for me, but for them. And they get a little, you know, awkward sometimes. Uh,
1: I have so many follow-up questions they're all-,
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right bring them bring them I'm ready no so maybe
1: uh maybe I think what would be good is just to, to catch up on what you've got going on now so like your how like your background in swimming and coaching nutrition um and then kind of like what you're doing to build Yeah, so
0: you cut out a little bit on me there, but I think I caught it all. So my background, yeah, as you said, Brian, I um, was a college coach for 13 years. I swam in college. I also was a sprinter, which... I tried to tell my college coach, and I got stuck in mid D for a while, and then we realized it really don't work that well, and so I trained more in the sprint group. Um, but when I got my genetics test back, I was a sprinter. I am a sprinter, so proof is in the pudding on the report that that's where I belong. So yes, yeah, so I do. Uh, I did coach. I did swim, and um, we still. Don't I don't swim anymore because I don't really have a pool, and I don't. Uh, I've spent enough years on a pool deck to do to you know have an. I have my fill for a while. Maybe in like 25 years I'll get back in the pool. But as a coach, um, I coached all Division One, so I was at mid-major schools um, as an assistant, as a head coach. I was at ACC schools as an assistant. I was at a Big Ten school as an assistant. But my biggest frustration, and maybe you guys can relate because you were college swimmers too or maybe even have coached in the club world a little bit here and there. And my biggest frustration was every year, the nutritionist or sports dietitian comes in from across campus, gives the talk, right? Like the one size fits all all the men, all the women pile into the room together. We're going to hear about food and nutrition for the whole year. Now we're going to know what to do. We got it. You got your 45-minute talk. All right, everyone, hurry up. We got to go to weights. Get out of here. Go, get, go to the weight room. We're done. So that's pretty much how nutrition was always handled. And then, you know, at my last stop at Purdue, we actually had really good people but they just had so many different sports. Right. And they, what they did provide was awesome. Like they were probably the best people we ever had um, at any school I was at, but they just, you know, they can't take every kid that has a problem with, you know, performance or training or nutrition, or how do I eat in the dining hall? They can't take every kid on -on one-on-one, right. It's just, it's just not realistic. So I always got frustrated with that. And as a coach I saw women struggle with fitness. Why should they struggle with fitness after 4 year, you know, 4 hours a day training? That just doesn't make any sense to me scientifically. So I would work with some of the women and they'd have results. And so more women would come and say, hey, Erica, what about this? And what about this? What should I eat after practice? And it kind of became where they went to me because I was accessible and they thought I knew stuff about food. So I had worked with people. I had done all our meals. I had done all our travel food. I planned all of that when I was an assistant at Purdue my last eight years of coaching. So I was just always the one that the women kind of came to and i would even have men ask me questions i technically wasn't even um, a coach for the men's staff Um, so when i left coaching i i thought there was got to be something to this like personal nutrition approach so i found this genetics test you know fast forward about a year and a half after leaving coaching and i had been working with nutrition clients no you know drive to work with athletes actually i was working with women that wanted to lose weight and just kind of the everyday person and then a, an athlete came to me and said, hey, I, can, you, can you work with me? I, I think you know something about nutrition, I'd like to work with you. So we started working together and it was great. And she told the other people and other people, and then the whole athlete thing happened again, which has been awesome and I love it. And I'm so glad I'm back in that world. But the one piece that I always felt like we were missing is like scientific data without getting a million blood draws on why people respond to certain foods, vitamins, training, recovery, hydration different than other people. Like, Let's break it down. If a woman on the team eats McDonald's every single day and doesn't gain a pound, why is that when another woman might eat a french fry and feels like she gained five pounds? what There has to be something genetically, scientifically going on in their bodies. So that's what I really wanted to figure out. And I wanted to help swimmers because in our sport, I felt like we were not neglected but we were the last team thought about when it came to nutrition oh swimmers can eat anything they swim so much they train so much they do all that dryland stuff they don't need to worry about it as much as this sport and that sport and that sport right so i wanted to help swimming and that's my background and that's what's been successful for us because everyone i have hired on my team on my staff all of those team members are currently still swimming on the US national team, former Olympians, um, former college coaches, former athletic directors and college coaches. So we have everybody in place that gets their culture, it gets the sport. So when I can talk to a client one-on-one on on Zoom about their genetics report, we can taper and that's not a foreign concept to me, right? That's something that I live. Can talk about the taper munchies. It's a real thing. You get hungry during taper, right? Um, I don't know if you can put this on there, but like <laughs> we talked about the taper poops, right? You've got to go more during taper. Why? <laughs> that, right. So we don't use that word. We use something else in college, but we'll use the friendly word here. But that's why, you know, there's different things and people's bodies respond differently. So it has been so, so awesome to see people's eyes light up on Zoom. Like I can see it and go, I bet you can't recover after Wednesday. I bet you show up on Thursday, Friday and Saturday and you have nothing in the tank. Right. And you're probably really sleepy. And they're like, yeah. And your menstrual cycles are really off. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. And you just see it and it's like relief. Like finally somebody. Tells me an answer. And so it's pretty cool to see that and help these younger kids, but also high, high, high level pros. It's so cool to see them understand things about their bodies that they never would have understood otherwise, which is so cool. So that's what I do now, to help people understand about their bodies.
1: Well, so let's just dive into it then. Why do you have to poop more during taper? you just do i mean people's (laughs)
0: digestive system so a lot of times they'll eat less right they're eating less their body's still trying to process it's still used to putting as much as they did into their body so if they're a fast metabolizer of like caffeine that's going to go in and out of them super super quick they're eating less food they metabolize caffeine fast Boom. you're going to go to the bathroom more it's just how it's going to work so we can see who does that. And I'll say that I bet you have to go to the bathroom a lot more. There. Yep. Eyes light
1: up.
2: The answer comes in clear.
1: Yep. So I need to know. So I, well,
2: my- so to bring this away from. <laughs> Sorry, <go ahead.
1: laughs>
2: Thank you. Both of our internet connections, I think are hurting here. We're both stepping on each other. I was going to take it away from poop conversation for a second <laughs> B and learn a little bit more about If someone does come to work with you, what does happen? Because like you said, you don't want these athletes to have to take a million blood draws like how it used to be done. So I'm curious more about the process, how you guys get your genetic information and and what you do with it after that. Because it's one thing just to have the information. It's one to know how that affects things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's where we come into play. You could go do a 23andMe genetics test, right, genetics test that tells you you might potentially possibly be related to people maybe in Italy Mm -hmm. that sometimes have this genetic marker, occasionally sometimes this, so you might have this, right? I mean, that's not real. So what the process is, so if they come to me and say, I want to work with you. Awesome. I ship them a DNA kit. Super easy. They swab their cheek three times. We take cheek cell swabs. It's HIPAA safe. So I don't see anything. I don't see their results. I don't see anything. They ship that to a lab actually in Washington called Molecular. Okay. And that goes up to Molecular Lab in Washington. Molecular processes the sample and they send the client their report. Okay. So literally because it's HIPAA from their HIPAA compliance. So their data can't be shared, sold, um, stored anywhere. They don't have to do anything else with it. But now everybody has shared that with me so we can go through it together, either myself or someone on on my team. And oops, John, pieced out. That's yeah. all right. So what we do then is we sit down for 90 minutes and we go through that on Zoom. Okay. So you go, Brian, this is you're the sprint gene. Okay. You probably assumed that now this is what this mean meant as a swimmer. And now real life wise, this is what this means for the rest of your life to hold on to muscle mass, to stay lean and fit. This is what you need to do. Right. And so if it's a current swimmer, we have that conversation about what's going on right now in their life. Hey, John, welcome back. Um, and so then we talk about Long health, too. I say someday your college career or swimming career, whenever that is, is going to be over. Okay. So, this is how you can stay healthy and fit the rest of your life, right? This is what this is going to mean for you. So, I was just saying, John, cheek swabs. He goes to the lab and then they get the report. We spend 90 minutes on Zoom going over that and applying it to swimming, right? So, we really dissect that down. What do you struggle with? Okay. Shows us you have high carb sensitivity. What, where do you struggle with carbs? Do you know how to eat carbs? Do you know, when to eat carbs, do you know, why you should eat carbs. <laughs> Cause as an athlete, you need them, right? Or do you eat fats? Are you really sensitive to fats? What kinds do we need to limit two weeks before your big meat? What do we need to do there? So that's the process. We also supplement review. So anything they're putting in their body right now, we look at vitamins, protein, green powder, any of that, make sure it's sport safe, make sure it lines up with their DNA get rid of anything that doesn't, get them the right stuff they need. And we also do a um, follow-up call like four or five weeks later. In the meantime, they have messaging access to us. So if they have questions as they're making changes, if they're struggling, if they're doing awesome, just want to tell us about the cool thing they found at Sam's Club, awesome. They get to do that and have somebody to cheer them on. So it's about a six, six, seven, eight seven, eight-week program, depending on the length from when the test goes in, results come back, and so on. So that's the whole process of it. So you get a lot of one-on-one Facetime with somebody that gets to sit down with you and go through everything. It's really nice.
1: How do you feel about uh, athletes who don't love to cook uh, and any advice you have for them? I was just thinking about these meal planners like and so forth, they get athlete timeline, nobody's got enough time. Uh, do you feel yeah. like there are any good ones out there?
0: Yeah. So I think HelloFresh is one that a lot of people have been using. And the, what I have found with people I have worked with more on an in depth process. So, genetic testing, yes, we talk a lot about like what to eat when, but some people need more of that like deep dive into their report. Help me on an every other week basis. So, we do sessions every other week. And so, there we'll dive more into like actually planning food out, when to eat, look at your schedule, when are you actually going to make food that's going to create food the rest of your week, right? So HelloFresh is a good one. If they get the two person meal, (laughs) a lot of times they can eat both servings and it's good, except, you know, the carbs are a lot in some of those. So they probably don't need all of those for the two people. Um, That one's pretty good. Blue Apron is, is decent as well. Those are the two that I have seen that are decent ingredients they don't eat they don't send you like canola oil or anything like that would be bad in your diet but that's why I published the cookbook as we mentioned earlier because it is something because I just found a lot of people had no time to make food, but they needed to eat well. So, the stuff that I was creating and the recipes I create are all for athletes on a busy timeline. I didn't cook in college. Like, macaroni and cheese was cooking for me. Like, that was a special night. <laughs> okay. I didn't cook. I don't really know. I didn't know how. I didn't know how even after college, really. So, I just, um, you know, I wanted to give people resources and, and help them understand hey, you can make two meals a week and feed yourself for the whole week. And it's easy if you know
1: how to do it. So. I mean, having a reason, like like what you're providing is so important because you know I I know that nutrition has come a long way in, in college college elite athletics. There's so many people that you know aren't aren't using alcohol at the same rate that are that are f- far more attuned to what goes into their bodies and understanding that it's engine. Um, I can remember my freshman year going to the grocery store with. the <laughs> with the charter that we're like, you know, it was like a, a per diem or something. And we're we're gonna buy your groceries, but it all has to be healthy. And my mom will tell this story where I called her and was asking, so what is healthy? What can I buy? Freshman, <laughs> you would think that's obvious. And maybe today it is for more kids, but it's not, it's not you know, and the, they've never cooked before. And so I'm just curious what are some of the things like foundational base level tips that you give to that, you know, an athlete that's in that age range, like newly independent doesn't cook, doesn't really know what, what are kind of the common things that you hear from them that are, you know, misconceptions and what do you tell them?
0: Gosh, that's like a loaded question. That's like an hour long conversation itself right there. That's really, really, really good question. So I, first of all, I would say in America, it's we are so far behind on nutrition knowledge by the time a kid gets to college, okay? And as a college coach, I had to teach so much about nutrition that they should have known At, you know, 10, 11, 12, where I see in Europe, that's a a real thing. Australia, Asia, Europe, they are so much more in tune with that stuff. And in America, we are just so far behind. So I think the education piece has to start younger. We can't start teaching college kids what a carb is. And what, a pro, what protein does, why do you need carbs and protein after practice within 30 minutes? That's a new concept for like 95% of college kids. Oh, there's a snack shack at the pool? Cool, I get snacks all the time. They have no idea why that's actually there. And so that's the kind of stuff that needs to be taught 9, 10, 11, 12, right? But instead, and this is no, you know, um, bag on, on club parents or club coaches whatsoever. But instead, if you go to a club meet, you see Skittles being handed out and brownies and the parents group handing out Fritos and Doritos. And now there's Ho-Hos and Little Debbie's all over the pool deck. That's just That's just not happening in Europe. Right. Those kids are doing different things at such a younger age. So that is, I think, where in America. We are failing and it has to change. And that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is when we work with these younger kids in clubs, is that we teach these 12, 13, 14 kids about their genetics. But the younger kids with the club teams we work with, we want to do more general nutrition talk. Okay, just those basics. Like, hey, after practice, bring this kind of bar. And this is why this is important. Okay, when you go to a meet, I want you to pack your bag full of these snacks. Okay, Mm -hmm. after the meet, if you want to go to Cold Stone when the meet's over and have the biggest ice cream, you know, celebrate, go for it. Okay, cool. But during the meet, this is the kind of stuff you need to think on. That's where I see us failing in America miserably is we don't teach young enough. So when they get to college, then they end up like Brian calling mom saying what's actually healthy. I don't know. Right. So, so kid, the kids that I work with, you know, everything is so individualized that it's hard to just give general tips. But I mean, one of the basic and most generic tips that is really actually true is stay out of the middle of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That is honestly one of the true things. And all of the brands we see advertised on TV are probably things you should stay away from. Okay, there's there's better options. If you just stay away from artificial junk and you keep processed foods as much as you can out of your diet, that's probably a basic starting point for most people, right? If you have a Instapot or a Crock-Pot that you can pick up for 10 bucks at Walmart, you can make really great food. And Pinterest is awesome, okay? If you don't want to cook and have no idea, HelloFresh it. It's fine hello fresh it right that's what that's what I would say we're actually gonna do on our social media next month is a back-to-school theme so what should you keep in your dorm room for snacks okay what should you look for in the dining hall when you go there what should your plate look like or where how when can you have dessert everyone's gonna have dessert it's okay but when is a good time to actually do that because it's accessible 24/ 7 in the dining halls so when can you do that when's your best chance yes, to do it right
1: what's well, so- that um because this one is so huge for us right is yeah oh my gosh sugar um you brought it up when when is it okay how much is okay uh how do you how do you how do you coach and advise through the the sweet tooth
0: sweet tooth. (laughs) I have one. So it's, it's hard. It's really hard. So there's a few genes, you know, if I'm talking, we'll just say, you know, we tested you, Brian, we'll just say we tested you. And we see that one, you have the addictive tendencies and impulse eating gene. Okay. That's pretty, pretty common in most pretty good athletes, CEOs, really great students, pretty common, okay, to, to have that. I have it, but I guess you guys both probably have it too. And that's a great thing. You know, people use that in a really great way. So when you have that in combination with a high carb sensitivity, that can really become dangerous because I explain the addictive tendencies gene. And so people understand that it literally is genetic. To me, if there's chocolate chip cookies on the table and I'm at a party and there's like a plate of them, right? Right. I'll have one and I need more or somebody else can have one and they can walk away go, that was so great. Thanks for making those. I can eat all six on the plate and be searching where the rest of the batch are. They had to make 12 or 24. Where the heck are the rest? So It's literally genetic and it's a dopamine problem. So some of the tips that I give people is don't keep food on your counter. Okay, keep, or if you're in your dorm room, don't keep food around. You have put it away because you're an impulse eater genetically. And we know, Brian, your carb sensitivity is super high. So when you come home from practice, And after dinner in the dining hall, you're sitting around and your genetics tell you, you want comfort and you use food as comfort and you're super highly sensitive to carbs. So that is not the time of day. You want those carbs sitting in your body, causing inflammation and causing your gut health to go downhill, which we get back into, you know, the bowel movement talk then. So we just, we really want to be careful At that point you know later in the day how much of those carbs you're taking in so keep better snacks if you don't buy it you can't eat it keep better snacks in your dorm room right and then we go through what is a better snack for you you know this is this would be a list of things you can buy the grocery store that would be better than goldfish crackers right so that's what we do
2: Yeah, like you were alluding to with the back to school and back to college, I think college athletes, there's tons of room to improve. And one area that we haven't talked about, but I'd love your perspective on, is just like over-supplementation or college athletes and probably even high school athletes too, just taking various supplements without any rhyme or reason just because it's advertised to them probably. Um, They think it's going to make them bigger, faster, stronger, and I'm curious to know how you guys handle that conversation when you're kind of one with supplements, but also kind of changing someone's beliefs. you are telling them something that you don't think they are buying into or believe.
0: Yeah, I've had some of those conversations. It's hard. Um, so let me ask you guys, did you guys in college use supplements? Yes. Yes. John, did you use supplements? Yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, so wh- where and why did you guys
1: use them? Mostly influence from other athletes, teammates uh, who are using. Um, yeah, so that was pretty. Fit. But uh, with my case, probably not too much. I, I felt like it was a lot of placebo. I was taking a lot of things that um, I perceived to be true. I read were were uh, you know healthy performance and were still legal. Um, and you know in, in some ways, when I reflect on that, I think that was that was kind of a doping in a way because like I don't know where you draw the line between what's performance enhancing and what's not. But yeah I took I took some things that you know, I never tested positive, but to be honest, like I never had anything independently lab tested either. so um, you know uh, but anyway, that's
0: yeah interesting. John, what about you? How did you? Was it like coach influence? Was it friends, athletes, the media influence? What sort of? Yeah, I think
2: just, yeah. No other swimmers and playing around with stuff that, like Brian said, you read online and things like that. So that was my, I think, experimentation with it at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially that time of. Um, the 2000s was creatine, right? Creatine was like really hot and heavy. You know, yep. everybody was doing it. So unknown, just do it. Everybody does it, yep. kind of, kind of thing, right? That was kind of the the dawn of the big creatine phase, I would say. Because I, I remember, I even swam through that. I remember that. So with supplements, you're right. It is. I see things from all over. People that refuse to take any supplements, they go, I hear I they're bad. I don't want to take anything, right? Where we see genetically, they need the baseline. They need like, I'm talking omega-3, vitamin D, because their training levels and performance and mood mental health will improve because of baseline vitamin supplementation, right? And so most people are really keen and open to taking that if that they see that there's a need, or they just want direction. They want somebody to say, hey, look at this vitamin D thing. This is really necessary for you. And they go, well, I thought about taking D. I never really knew, but now I know, right? They know that. So the next level of supplements though, is kind of that higher level performance stuff like you guys are talking about. So a lot of that stuff in today's world is flavored is colored. I mean, we see protein powders that taste like fruity pebbles on the market, right? We see all this stuff where back in the day it was just straight up creatine, like you dry scoop, right? And you put it down and there's no flavor to that. you just, water was your flavor, right? Protein, the same thing. Maybe you had chocolate and vanilla, but that was about it. Nowadays it's different. And so when people test in certain genetic places uh, with these markers, it shows us how bad artificials are actually working against their body, like Gatorade, right? we can see how bad Gatorade is for them. And so when I'm talking to somebody about supplements and they bring a list of 15 things, you know, some of the pros I work with take a lot of stuff. They really do. And so we dive into that and go, okay, you're taking all of this. Do you know why you take each one of these? So I have them give me a reason. Why do you take it? Uh, when do you take it? A lot of people, I would say 95% of people that I supplement review with are taking that supplement at the wrong time of day, right? They're taking vitamin D in the morning with 15 other pills or 15 other supplements. They don't know. They just thought they're supposed to take vitamin D. There's actually a time of day you're supposed to take vitamin D and it's with your dinner. It's not in the morning. So we come up with a full plan of, okay, B complex is morning. This is what I want you to take in the morning. Okay. Right after you come home from practice and you have your breakfast, this is what you need to take. This is what you need to take pre-workout. Why are we using creatine? Are we using it pre? Are we using it post for recovery? What, do, what are we using this for? So then we figure out how and why and when we can take stuff. This is the stuff you need to take with dinner, and this is bedtime. We know Brian's body kicks into starvation mode and eats your muscle mass within about two hours. So if you want to keep your muscle mass, this is what we need to do at bedtime. So we kind of go through that routine and give them a full plan. Now that's probably like the really high end athlete. Um, that's maybe more advanced. I maybe mean, not even high end, but they've been training. They're in college. Maybe they're pro. The younger kids, it's multivitamins, (laughs) omega-3, B-complex, maybe vitamin D. The four basics, or it's, hey, go to Target. You can buy smarty pants vitamins there that are going to have exactly what you need. They have a teen formula that's actually approved. It's sports safe. You can do that. So it's just helping them understand what their body needs, when they need to take it, and how to advance that as they get older. Right? So- Hopefully that gives you an answer.
1: What about practices around caffeine?
0: Ooh, Caffeine, it's, yeah. Did you guys use caffeine at all?
1: So I started drinking, using caffeine on the pool deck of the middle of my college career. Um, never drank coffee regularly. By, by the time I was swimming in college, uh, I would drink you know, a, a sizable coffee, like a 16 ounce coffee in the morning on the way to morning workout and have it there. So I'm, I'm quite curious about impacts of of caffeine, you know, uh, not just in competition, but really like regularly drinking it, how that can kind affect of performance, both like morning and afternoon kind of thing.
0: Yeah, John, did you use caffeine at all? Did you guys not? You
2: uh, not, not, for, not for athletic, uh, mostly academic uh, okay. caffeine take, but not really was swimming on the mind.
1: Oh, and let me go much further. The race by the end of my career, I was using caffeine pills. Yeah, yep. race. So, I mean, I would drink sh- before my best swim ever. I'd, I'd drink a sugar free Red Bull and, and had a caffeine pill that I chewed up like minutes before. Yeah,
0: wow, but, yeah. <laughs> <It's still> not today's best practice, but you know, it worked. And in the 2000s, it was basically like the stone age. So it was free for all the wild, wild west with supplements back then. It was so unregulated, right? It was so unregulated, so unknown. I still think we're in a very unknown world yet when it comes to supplementation. But caffeine is an interesting one because we do test caffeine metabolism. So are you a slow, a medium or a fast metabolizer? So young kids are not doing caffeine and it's really great because we can show them, Hey, this is actually really bad for you. So when you get to a point where you're going to potentially drink caffeine, this is how much you want to stay under. Okay. And this is where as an athlete, you want to use caffeine in a race. Okay. If you are a fast metabolizer and you take it, An hour before your race, forget it. It's been gone for 45 minutes. So we kind of can help people understand where to use it. It's never something I suggest if it's already something they're using or they're interested in. I know a lot of open water swimmers use things like that to help warm them up and get them ready to go. But when and how, how many minutes should you do before that, right? And it also tells us beyond a certain amount of milligrams per day, what damage you're doing to your body. You're not absorbing minerals from your food, so that's not good. You will have heartburn, sleep problems, um, digestive. You're killing off your good uh, gut bacteria, so you can have digestive issues. So after everybody has a certain marker, after a certain amount of milligrams of caffeine every day, these are the things that start to happen in your body, which are not good as an athlete. Right. So those are the things we talk about around caffeine, but it's not something I personally ever recommend unless somebody's already using it or is being recommended by their coach and they want to go, how do I use this? Right. It's not something I've ever pushed, especially with kids at all under 18.
2: Yeah. How about with like um, other supplements that are m- maybe harder to study or, I would assume harder to tell from a genomic test, like say like a beta alanine or things like that. Um, yep. Is it, you guys kind of just kind of stay hands off with that and just see what the athletes kind of show interest in or express interest in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We really like, with, it depends on the age again, but the younger kids, sure. I 18 and under, it's more baseline nutrition, right? And some of them are experimenting with like protein powder. Maybe they're into creatine or post-workout recovery or pre-workout. That's about as the extent I see as a club level swimmer for the most part. The next, once they get into college, as you guys mentioned, the influence comes in from the teammates in the locker room. That's where they start to see that stuff, right? Or the, or the commercials or the advertisements on social media. Then they think they need to do everything. So like you mentioned, beta-alanine, that's one on that, people really screw up, right? Because they don't dose it properly, they don't load it properly. I've had many people say, "Yeah, I take this," and then go, "Okay, what's what's your dosage? What are you doing?" And they, you know, they're way off. They have they're not they're wasting money. They're not doing anything with it. Quite honestly, they have no idea how to load it properly, how to unload it, um, when you can stop it. They just they have no clue. And again, that's that's not their fault. It's the poor education when it comes to this stuff. That is not out there, unfortunately. So, that is again something I don't push. You know, those kind of more performance things I really don't, unless they tell me I really struggle with recovery. Okay. I cannot eat 250 grams of chicken a day. How can I get more protein? Then we might talk about adding protein powder, right? Or have you ever thought about a pre-workout or post-workout that's actually going to give you a lot of nutrition, not just jack you up and make you feel like your heart's racing, right? That's actually going to give you nutrition to get your body ready to go. So we look at different proteins or different pre-workouts together through Zoom and find stuff for them, right? Hydration drinks. We find stuff like that for them. We know they dehydrate very quickly. So it's, yeah, a lot of those high level supplements is typically not something I'm, Suggesting unless I have a really good relationship with the athlete that we've been working together for a while and go, you know what, you've been telling me for four weeks, this has been going on. I think it's time we talk about this. How do you feel about this? What do you think about adding this in and seeing how your body responds? So I'm more of a less is more, let's slowly add some stuff in instead of throw everything at it and we don't know what's working.
1: Do you ever have athletes asking uh, about their, you know, curiosity and intermittent fasting?
0: Yeah, sometimes, especially it's more, it's definitely women. I don't know if I've ever had a male ask me that um, when they're in a weight loss school. Definitely. And a lot of people coming out of COVID are in a weight loss school, right? They're coming out of quarantine or lockdown. And that's not even just in America, like all over the world, there's still lockdowns going on. So yes, they absolutely ask me about that. And that's one of the genes that we talk about is the, like the fasting genes. So how fast your body kicks into starvation mode. So John might kick into starvation mode within, you know, four or five hours. So his body's burning fat as fuel for a long time. Brian's might kick in after about two hours and your body is going to switch to burning lean muscle mass as its fuel and storing its next meal as fat. So people that are trying to intermittent fast and they kick starvation mode really quickly, that's a really terrible combination. And I have worked with the everyday person who has tried that and they actually gain weight. They've been gaining weight, intermittent fasting, and they can't figure it out. So we definitely switch that trend. And that typically is like moms of athletes that are doing the testing with us through the team level are you know, trying that trend and not having results.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What impact does uh, poor sleep have on
0: nutrition and your diet it's a vicious cycle and i mean vicious cycle you don't get enough sleep so your cortisol levels are high so you store belly fat right so you feel like garbage and your body craves carbs when you feel like garbage and so you won't need energy. So your body's telling you, I need carbs. So you give it carbs and then you crash. And then your body needs more carbs and then you give it crash. So sleep can absolutely impact your nutrition um, and how your body recovers and rests. But the biggest thing with sleep, in my experience with athletes, especially, is that when they don't sleep enough when it relates to nutrition, is they make horrible choices after that to stay awake, they load caffeine, they load sugar and it's not even on purpose. It's just, this is what my body is telling me I need and I'm going to give it to it. And then they crash and they do it all over and all over. So it's a vicious cycle. You eat bad and then you sleep bad and you eat bad and you sleep bad. So you have to break the chain at some point. Um, but that, that's the biggest thing I would say I had seen with
1: athletes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We didn't talk about alcohol either. What about alcohol?
0: Ooh, alcohol. That's a big one. We actually test the alcohol gene, the flush gene. So, Brian, did you ever? I mean, you're over 21. I, I guess, right? You're to over 21. <laughs> We're both over 21. We both have drank alcohol in our lives, right? And so, did you ever experience? Maybe even yourself, but I'm going to guess not. But other people you're with, if you are drinking alcohol, get red in the face like immediately, like they're yeah. red. Yes, yeah.
1: that is just.
0: It is genetic. Yeah. Well, most commonly, the alcohol flush gene is actually in the Asian culture. That's typically uh, those are the three people of I don't even know how many people test. I have tested hundreds um, have ever had it. But it literally shows them that they, what's going to happen if they drink. It's actually really serious. It can be life threatening. Even if they use Listerine mouthwash, which is like 25% alcohol, it can be really, really dangerous for them, which is crazy. So I actually had this conversation with the parents of an 11 year old boy the other night. I said, and he has it. And I said, okay, I can assume probably by looking at you guys where it came from. And, you know, one of the parents raises their hand and goes, yep, that's me, because I, I definitely do that. I can't have alcohol. And so we're talking about what does this mean socially for a kid? When they go to college, they've become beyond 21 years old. That's very, in our culture, very social. How we interact with people is through alcohol, a lot of times too. So we, we're I'm having this conversation about how their child is going to respond to alcohol, and they're looking at me like, "Oh my gosh!" So we have to talk to them about this at some point in their life. So it's just really interesting that way, you know. If somebody does have that, that's actually really, really life threatening potentially and very serious. But alcohol-wise, you know, we can see how well you metabolize it. If you don't metabolize it well, it's pretty. I mean, most athlete, most swimmers that have been in college, I can actually say, I've never did this. I never went to practice after a night of drinking, like ever, I never did it. Never once. Um, I've coached kids that clearly came in after a night of drinking and they didn't do so well, but you could see, I mean, you could see it for three days, you know, how hard their weekend was. You can see it. And that is literally nutritionally, your body is pushing out toxins, that you put into it on, sat well, say Saturday night, right? And you show up Monday morning for practice. Your body hasn't been able to metabolize and get rid of those toxins. Now you're putting more physical stress on the body. That stuff's hanging in your body for days and days. I mean, it's just, it's hard. To, I mean, I'm glad I never did it, but a lot of people did. A lot of, I mean, still do. And it's definitely very, very damaging on their bodies, unfortunately.
1: All right, I got a question about the about the impacts of alcohol the effects of alcohol on your body during athletic exercise um, so in my experience and i didn't do it all the time but i was a college student so i went out on saturday nights and but so the few times uh, that i came into practice and was still under the influence of alcohol <laughs> in my experience there were it was either really bad or it was amazing and i'm telling had some unbelievable workouts where I could just sit on a pace and go. Do you know what's happening there?
0: You're just a genetic species, apparently. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. I can't tell you that. But um, that's, I mean, you're just, for lack of wider words, you might just be a total badass. Like, you might just <laughs> not feel the pain. Like, you just push through it and mentally, emotionally, physically, you're able to. Phew, just go through it. I mean, I don't reason. know. I don't know. what I don't know the answer to that.
1: I always thought that it was something to do with like the, the sugar and the alcohol uh, being a fuel source for your body. Uh, to some
0: degree. Well, that's actually a really good point. So we might have to dive back and rewind the VHS to see what you actually were ingesting in those times. So if it was like something, you know, I don't, I don't know what something like pina coladas that night full of, (laughs) full of sugar may potentially, maybe it was actually with a high carb sensitivity. Maybe you were feeling the effects of poor sugar. Now, if it was straight liquor um, coming in small containers, maybe it was actually, you know, that was the damaging part. I don't know, we'd have to rewind the VHS and see what was what was getting ingested, go back to the tapes. I
1: can tell you, I can tell you it definitely wasn't
0: <laughs> <laughs> Or or uh beer, high carb beer, you know? Like it, it sometimes people really mistake being hungover as the carb problem. Like it's literally their body is so sensitive to carbs and that that can make you feel worse than the actual alcohol. So some people can actually mistake that feeling.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. So one thing that I want to know is, is, is there a, a, a right way to have the conversation around weight loss? If there's an athlete who thinks that they need to lose some weight, or perhaps um, there's an athlete that you know, the, the, the you're know you working with who may not think that they need to, but the coach they need to, et cetera, have you found a good, healthy way to manage that conversation
0: Yeah, that is definitely something I have worked with a lot of different people on men and women, both actually, not even just so much women, but it is a lot of people coming out of COVID. It was pros trying to get ready for Olympic trials, right? And it was like, hey, I'm about seven pounds heavier than I typically like to be going into a championship meet. So what do I need to do? Right. And then there's the other case too, where maybe it's a club athlete and mom is on the call saying, you know, I'm really concerned because she's about 20 pounds heavier than she was when she was swimming her best. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there, those are definitely two different conversations. The pro athlete is aware they know what they need to do. Their body is their income. Their body is their job. Their body is their livelihood. Like they're going to do whatever it takes. Right. And that's an open conversation between myself and the pro. That's a pretty easy conversation to have because they bring it up. right? Right. They know their body. When it comes to a club athlete, that's maybe, Coming down from the coach, from the parent, something like that, or the parent will say, hey, the coach is really concerned about how little she's eating or how much she's eating, that she's just not swimming well in practice. You know, if he's really concerned about what she's doing at home when it comes to food. You know, that that's a definitely a tough conversation, um, especially when it doesn't come from the athlete. But typically the athlete knows right? Like you as an athlete or you as a human know, hey, my clothes don't fit as well as they used to. My suit is a size bigger than it used to be and not for a good reason. So one of my intro genes that we start talking about is, you know, fat loss with exercise. <clears throat> what is the your most effective way to stay strong, lean and fit? And I always ask the individual, how do you feel about your current body composition? Do you feel like, are you in a position where you want to gain muscle mass? Are you in a position where you want to tone up? Are you in a position where, Hey, like a lot of people coming out of COVID, we didn't get a lot of exercise. You feel like you're not at the same place you were when you were racing at your best. So that's where I start to open the conversation and see where they lead with that. And I've always had people open up and say, Hey, this is, this is kind of how I feel like, yeah, during COVID I, I ate more and, I just don't feel as good as I used to, and it really feels bad, right? And it's it's a good thing to see them bring that to the surface, right? And then I can say, you know what? There's a lot of things in here that can help you get back to where you want to be, and it's not about the number on the scale, okay? I want you to get that number out of your head, even the pro men. Like, you know what? When you were 22 and now you're 26, your body's different, As a woman at 14 versus a woman who's 21, it's you're different. You can't compare numbers. You have to look at how am I training and practice, how are my times at meets, how do I feel emotionally, mentally, physically, how do my clothes fit? Those four things. Get rid of the number. Okay, that's not important. Because if you're swimming well, if you're putting the right things in your body that your genetics tells us you need, the number's not going to matter. It's going to be where it's going to be. It might be 162. It might be 159. If you focus on the 159, you can get into unhealthy habits. So that's, that's always my conversation. And it's, it's difficult for some people to want to open up. I can see that. Um, but it, it does help when they do because we can, we can help them right that's what we're here for
1: all right we just got a few quick rapid fire questions to finish
0: oh oh boy
1: all right what's the hardest race in swimming
0: long course 200 butterfly
1: would you rather work with an athlete who goes on to win olympic gold set a world record or become the isl mvp
0: what was it the isl mvp
1: yeah, so would you rather work with would you rather work with an athlete who goes on to win Olympic gold, set a world record, or be ISL MVP?
0: Olympic gold.
1: What's the most common snack athletes think is okay but isn't?
0: Goldfish.
1: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say peanut butter. What summer league snack is the worst? Fun dip, pixie sticks, or hot dogs? Oh my gosh, these are so hard. Fun,
0: um, oh, fun dip, fun dip for sure. They're sure. all they're all terrible. Well, the hot dog can actually be okay, but the other two
1: can be horrid. Are horrid. All right, I got I got one for for our era, which is whatever happened to the original Power Bar?
0: I mean, <laughs> they're still around because those things definitely didn't disintegrate. So. They are still in some <laughs> coach's office somewhere. My college coach definitely has power bars. I swam division three. We had no scholarships and our scholarships were free swim caps and power bars in his office or probably <laughs> 15 years old. So I'm sure he still has them. I'm sure there's gotta be some. What did happen to them? What do you guys think? I
1: know. What, what flavor did you go with?
0: Peanut butter always.
1: Oh, peanut butter was the best. Oh my Terrible. I don't care what anybody says.
0: What was terrible? Chocolate. Oh, they're horrid. They and were like
1: And banana. Oh, <laughs> they were so bad.
0: Yeah. You know what's worse than you know what's worse than banana power bars? The OG power bar, though, is today's Gatorade bars. Those are horrible. They're so disgusting. They don't disintegrate either, so they'll be around for a hundred years. People can study them later.
1: Oh, good to know. Wow. Yes. Oh, it's <laughs> oh, so good. Erica, thanks so much for the work you're doing. It's changing, uh, you know, into the future of sport. We've got 16 that are going 47 low now. And uh, there's no doubt that with as many youngsters, the Olympic team and so forth, that it's because of people that are taking care of their bodies uh, in a way that, you know, the previous generation never did. Uh, thanks for helping them, you know, go into the future.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on and sharing your love of the peanut butter power bar. I'm not the only one. And I totally forgot
1: about that. Thanks for bringing it back.
0: We got to bring it back. We should start a campaign. Bring it, bring back the power bar. Hashtag it.
1: it There's so many better replacements (laughs) now.
0: Kids these days would not appreciate it like we did. They would not. All right. Well,
1: that's it for this episode of Social Kick Podcast. Uh, Thanks for hanging with some of the connection issues. See you later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Social Kick podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website at thesocialkick.com.